We come to the book of Acts, and Acts is the second part of what we see in Luke's writing. Luke, the one who writes the gospel of Luke, traveled alongside Paul in some of his missionary journeys. He collects all these stories about Jesus. He's devoted to the apostles' teaching. He researches it. He puts together all that happens in the life of Jesus in the gospel of Luke. Then we move on to this book called Acts, and it's referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. So it's going to focus on the apostles throughout the whole book of Acts. But what we really see is actually it's the work, the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, through those who are appointed as deacons, through those who are appointed as missionaries. It is the acts of the Holy Spirit. What happened after Jesus ascended back into heaven? And so they wait around for a long time. Remember, Jesus ascends probably 40 days after rising from the dead. He stays with them. He appears to them in various ways, in various forms, at various times. He just shows up even though the doors are closed and locked. He eats some fish with them at one point, lets them touch his hands and his feet and his side. He's got scars, but he's in this new glorified body, this new form that's physical and metaphysical all at the same time. It's, it's really nifty. It's really interesting. He goes and he talks to all of his disciples and they're all gathered together and he ascends into heaven and they just keep staring at him. And then they holler up and they're like, hey, hey, Jesus, is it? Is this when you're going to set up your kingdom and stuff, you know, like overthrow all the Romans and everything? Like, it was cool. I mean, you died and all that. That was, that was nifty. But you're supposed to take over the Romans now, right? That's, this was happening. Yeah. And Jesus is like, are you guys kidding me? Like, have y'all still not picked up on it yet? And these angels are standing in the clouds. They're like, hey, guys, stop staring up here. Just stop looking, okay? He's going to come back in the same way that he went up. But for now, go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. All right, Jesus tells them, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. And if you ever study Acts on your own, that's your outline for the whole book. The book starts off probably the first five or six chapters are Judea or Jerusalem. Then it spreads out to Judea for the next chunk of chapters. Then you go to Samaria. And by the end, you're seeing Paul's missionary journeys to the ends of the earth. It's the outline for the whole book. So Acts 1.8 is extremely important. Just know that we're his witnesses everywhere we go. So they go back to the upper room. There's about 120 of them, and they're just waiting. About 10 days. So 10 days later, the Feast of Pentecost comes along. The Holy Spirit falls as flaming tongues of fire. This is the first symbol of fire coming down upon a temple. Our bodies are the temple, right? Since the fire falls on the temple that Solomon built. The Holy Spirit no longer dwells in the Holy of Holies alone. The Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts. And so as the Holy Spirit fills these disciples, these apostles, they go out from the upper room and they start preaching like crazy. Now they're not going out and they're not preaching going, they're not, that's not, it's not gibberish, okay? It's, it's not, that's not what it means when it says they go out and they're speaking in tongues. It means that they're speaking English, and no matter what language all the various people groups spoke that heard them, they heard their own language. 
So if there was a different language for each one of these sections of the auditorium, and I'm just up here speaking English, but you're hearing Spanish over here because that's all you speak. You're hearing Chinese over here because that's all you speak. You're hearing Australian because even though they got an accent, that's still not English, okay? I don't care what you guys say. It's, it's not. Australian is just a crazy different world language. But regardless, whatever your dialect, whatever your language, that's what people heard. And so we picked up right there as Peter preaches this profound sermon. And when he comes to the very end, he says, you guys killed Jesus. Y'all crucified him. And every one of them by this preaching is cut to their very heart, to the core of who they are. And instead of going, how dare you say that we killed Jesus? How dare you declare that we were the ones who did? I can't believe you'd say such a thing. They all go, what do we do? Okay, we hear you. Okay, we believe you. How do we respond? What do we do? And Peter's like, uh, repent and be baptized. And, and then we're going to start a church. And that's how the church starts. Like, there it is. At the end of that day, there's 3,000 new people. Started at 120. By the end of Pentecost, boom, there's 3,120. The church grew exponentially. And so what we find is a description of how the church began. And I want us to pay attention to something because in Scripture it's really important to pay attention to when the text is descriptive and when the text is prescriptive, okay? Descriptive. You go to the doctor and the doctor tells you about this terrible cancerous disease that exists. He doesn't say that you have that cancer. She doesn't tell you that you have been diagnosed with the cancer. Maybe... He or she tells you about this new medicine that fights cancer really well. But you're just talking about this cancer. It's not that you have it. It's not that you need the medicine for it. It is a description, right? But you're still in the doctor's office. So you might mistake the doctor for prescribing you this new cancer drug. But you don't have cancer. You shouldn't be taking that drug. In the Bible, there are descriptions of what people did. And sometimes you and I like to look at the Bible and take text that is descriptive and make it prescriptive. For example, if you look back in the Old Testament, there's a lot of folks in the line of the patriarchs who had numerous wives. This is a part of Scripture that is descriptive, describing what Abraham did. Not saying, hey guys... You should be like Abraham in this wives thing, okay? Like what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to get a wife, okay? Then she's not going to be able to have children, and she's going to offer up her maidservant, and you're going to want to be intimate with that maidservant. That's how you do it. No, that is not what the Bible is telling us to do. It is telling us what Abraham did, all right? It did not work out well for Jacob, remember? Jacob, he worked seven years, got the wrong wife, said, I'll work seven more years, got the sister. Then they start giving him their maids. Before you know it, Jacob's got 12 kids. The Lord worked in spite of them sinning in that way. But it's not a, it's not a prescription of do this. It is a description of what they did. So we have to judge very cautiously, very carefully, and make sure that we're taking the prescription and not taking the description as prescription, right? So what is Acts chapter 2? Is this just describing to us how the early church began? Or is there some prescription mixed in to this description? There's prescription mixed with 
the description. So you're still in your doctor's office, and he or she tells you, hey, you've got high blood pressure. Here's the diagnosis. You've got high blood pressure. Then the doctor describes several different blood pressure medicines to you, ultimately saying, this one is the one I'm going to prescribe because it will be best for you. It is a conversation filled with a description, and then he ultimately gives you a prescription. That's Acts chapter 2. The gospel is presented to us. The way to be saved is spelled out for us. To repent, to believe, to call on the name of the Lord, to be baptized, to follow Jesus, to begin to form together with other Christians in community. That's a prescription of what to do if you want to call yourself a Christian. There's also a description of what they did and how God moved through them in that. So what I want us to just zero in on for the rest of our time this morning is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Here's what they did. They devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, is this just telling us what they did? Why, yes, it is telling us what they did. But the Bible is also prescribing to us that this is what the church does. So it is a description of this is what they did, but if we are going to be the church, this is what the church does. So when you go to a church, any old church, these are the things that you ought to find in that church, right? They, there should be devotion, and there should be devotion to apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers. So what does it mean to devote? We talk about devotions. I did my devotion this morning. I'm such a good Christian. I started off my day and I just opened up the Bible and read my little devotion. I was devoted. Is, is that a devotion? Is that, is that devotional? Why, yes. Yes, it is. What does it mean to devote to something? You give over or direct your time, your talent, your money, your effort, your ability to a cause, to an enterprise, or to an activity. You give over time, you direct time, you direct money, you direct your abilities, you direct your talent to a specific enterprise, to a specific thing, to a specific effort, to a specific cause. Let's say that you just absolutely love Alabama football. Are you devoted to Alabama football if all you do is check the score after the game is over? Would a true Alabama fan call you a true Alabama fan? Would they say you're devoted to the team? If all you do is after the game's over, later in the afternoon, maybe day after, you open your ESPN app and you go, well, you know, Alabama won 34 to nothing. All right, we're good. I can be happy now. Put the phone back in my pocket, move on with my life. Are you devoted? No, probably not. All right? Now, let's say that you're at every game. Let's say that you're like Brock Wallace and you take your shirt off and you paint your body red and put a white Alabama A on your chest and stand there for the camera and go, Woo! Roll Tide! And every time the camera comes to you and you see Brock on the TV going, Yeah! Alabama! Now, would you say it's a healthy level of devotion? Probably not. Brock might need to talk to somebody, Okay. Might need some psychiatric help. That's a little too devoted. But what we can all agree on is the person who like bears their body, paints it and does all that and screams for the thing and they're there every game, they're devoted. 
Okay, the person who leaves on Wednesday to go and camp in their RV until the game on Saturday, week in and week out, every week of football season, they may be a little too devoted, but the least that you can say is they're definitely devoted because they have set aside time. They've dedicated money. They've given their ability to the cause of their team. Whether it's football, baseball, basketball, no matter what it is, if it's sports, if it's not sports, maybe maybe you are devoted to shopping. You know, there's some people that go shopping, and the people that go shopping casually are like me. I might walk into Walmart and not even have a list. Those are usually the trips that go very badly. You should probably have a list when you go to the store. And then there's the couponers. We got any couponers in the house? You just just be proud. That's I'm couponers. You get to the register, and, and it's not a self-checkout. It's actually one of the, there's like, it's, it's amazing. There's actually a person there to check you out, right? But then you see, you see the purse come out. You see it open, and then this book, this binder of coupons. They've got $700 worth of groceries, and the store's going to pay them before they leave. That's devotion to shopping. They clipped every one of them coupons, and they're going to get every deal that is possibly out there to get. It's devotion. We devote ourselves to all sorts of things. But as a church, do we devote ourselves to these four things? Is this something that's worked into the rhythm of our lives? Would a fellow Christian, would a fellow church member see your devotion to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers, and say of you, that's a true, devoted Christian. Because this is what it looked like in the very first church. They got together every single day. Every single day. Do you know that the average church attendance these days Someone who considers themselves a faithful church attender, according to LifeWay Research, goes one time in a month. Once a month. That's somebody who considers themselves faithful. The early church was devoted. They went day after day. Day by day, they met together. They broke bread. They prayed. They heard the apostles teach every single day. And now... We're doing good if we're here once a month. Oh, man, I, I went to church. I went to church two times this month. Let me tell you what. While I was at the pastor's conference and the state convention this week, I had a pastor friend tell me that there was a couple that came up to him, and, and he hadn't seen them in a very long time. And he said, hey, guys, is, is everything okay? Have y'all had some sickness in the family? Oh, no, everything, everything's good. We're, we're good. Well, it's, it's just been a couple months since I, I saw you here, and I, I just wanted to make sure that everything was, was all right in your family. Oh, yeah, everything's fine. I mean, we're still members here. We're still apart. I mean, we were here a couple months ago. We'll, we'll see you in a couple months, Pastor. Everything's good. Do, do you know now you, you can't tell whether somebody's left the church, whether they're sick, whether you need to check up on them, or, or what's going on because the average cycle of somebody coming to church is only maybe once a month, one time used to be three times a week. Then it backed up to three times a month. Then COVID hit, and it's one time a month. That's a Sunday, a Wednesday, a small group in a home somewhere you met with the church. One time a month. Is that devotion? If we're going to be devoted, are we really as a church devoted to these things? What does it mean when it talks about being devoted to the apostles' teaching? 
And this, this is incredible. You've got to know that every one of these apostles followed Jesus around for three years. And they didn't have live streaming. They didn't have recording devices. If somebody wanted to hear what Jesus preached yesterday, today, Jesus has got to re-preach it. So for three years, these people who were always with him, they heard all of his sermons over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Day after day after day, they walked with Jesus. If you wonder, how on earth could Matthew remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus probably preached the Sermon on the, on the Mount the exact same way hundreds of times to various audiences in various places. And Matthew just records that time that it was in that one place on the Mount. And he can remember every word of it because there's so few people that can read and write. They are auditory learners. They hear it and they know it. They can recite entire books to you. Most of them could memorize the entire Bible and have it verbatim just there on recall because they had heard it. Their memory for recalling auditory things was way beyond what ours is because if you can't read or write, you better figure out how to memorize what you hear or you're not going to get by. So when it talks about the apostles teaching, the apostles are teaching what we have in Scripture. They're teaching the Bible. That's the apostles teaching. They're repeating the things that Jesus taught. They're going over the Bible. They're going through Scripture. And then we end up writing it down. And so we have today the apostles' teaching. That we can be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Church, I just want to ask. This is the question for you and for me. Can we say that we're devoted enough to the apostles' teaching that there are more days that we read the Bible than not? Just a simple Are there at least more days that you spend in God's Word than not? I know this isn't groundbreaking. I know this isn't new. I know this isn't some great new spiritual insight that's going to wow you and knock your socks off. This is, are you reading your Bible? Honestly, are you reading your Bible? If you are, how much are you reading your Bible? Am I reading my Bible? How much am I reading my Bible? Are there more days in the week that pass by without ever turning my heart to the word of the Lord, to the apostles' teachings, are there more days where I don't do that than I do? Four days out of the week. Can you say that at least four days out of the week you set aside time to study God's word? I'm not talking about, okay, all right, day by day they were breaking their bread and they headed in the temple. That was great. All right, let me move on. i got to get to work. I'm talking about spending time convening with the Holy Spirit, searching the word, studying and maybe you're not the best reader i'll remind you we have an app with our church called dwell it is an app where you can pick a variety of different voices different translations there's a variety of music you can listen to in the background they have curated playlists for if you're struggling with anxiety if you're struggling with depression here's some verses that might help you out you can just go and say i want to listen to the gospel of mark you can probably listen to mark straight through in about 20 minutes like, that's, that's 20 minutes. Boom, you're driving somewhere. You can listen to the whole Gospel of Mark and meditate on what God is saying to us in Mark. Are we devoted enough to even go through and download the app? I have a total of 250 subscriptions that we can have what we pay for. Thus far, we've got 38. You can just listen to the Bible. It's a little link. I can email it to you guys again. But are we devoted enough to Scripture that we're going to read, we're going to listen, we're going to make sure we're spending time in God's Word? 
are we devoted to the apostles' teaching? I mean, is there even anybody in this church that folks might see us and go, ooh, that's like that crazy Alabama fan. That's like that crazy Auburn fan. They just got Cadillac Williams tattooed on their shoulder. I mean, woo, they an Auburn fan. Let me tell you what. Is there anybody that would say that about one of us in our church in regard to our devotion to the apostles' teaching? Do we care about it that much? Would we be described as a fanatic, as a fan? The next one is the fellowship. The fellowship. This is a, a Greek word that you may be familiar with. Koinonia, koinonia, you, you can say it either way. I'm not sure which way is the right way to say it. I usually just say koinonia. It's the fellowship. There's 19 different occurrences of koinonia in the New Testament. Every one of them suggests a use that is for the church, for the unique sharing that Christians have with God and other Christians. What's going to happen right here around these tables in the next 10 or 15 minutes? That's koinonia. When somebody in your church's car breaks down and you loan them your car, that's koinonia. When somebody doesn't have enough to eat and you give them of your groceries, when somebody can't pay their light bill and as a church we come together and we pay the light bill, when we go have lunch together, when we meet up for breakfast when we fellowship with one another, when we meet in each other's homes for small group, when you show up for Sunday school and we are devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship all at the same time because we ask, how can we pray for one another? How can we be there for you? What's going on in your life this week? Now let's look at God's Word together and we talk about God's Word together. That's fellowship. But what's sad is that if you get on a travel ball team, you can see more fellowship on that travel ball team than you will ever see in the church. If you were to decide you're going to live an alternative lifestyle and you join an LGBTQ plus community, you'll find all kinds of fellowship and love and support and community in that lifestyle. That's why people who are struggling with that are leaving the church in flocks and herds because what they find in the church is judgment. What they find in the church is being cast down. There's no love. There's no support. There's nobody walking with them. There's no fellowship. But they find open arms out in the world. People who are willing to invite them into their home. But you and I, we have a tendency to act like, I can't invite somebody like that to my house. It might be infectious. Like it might spread in my house. I, I, uh, why would I invite them to my home? I don't know. Love them like Jesus? Eat with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners like Jesus? Fellowship. Are we devoted to it? I don't want them to see my house. I don't want them in my house. I don't want them in my life. Because I'm not going to put up with that kind of sin in my life. What does our fellowship look like? That's one of our greatest outreach tools. But when people look at the church, instead of seeing fellowship that they want to be a part of, all they see is bickering and backbiting. Who would want to be a part of that? When you think about our church, and when I say our church, I mean like you can look around the room. This is our church. This building is where we meet, but this is our church, people who gather. Is our church devoted to the fellowship, the, the koinonia, the giving and sharing, being there for one another, having meals together, the breaking of bread 
Breaking of bread is two things. It's a fellowship meal and it's communion. There's going to be commentators and scholars that are going to say it's one and not the other or the other and not this one. It's both. A lot of times they'd get together and have a meal and they'd cap off that meal by having the Lord's Supper. And they'd set aside bread and they'd set aside wine and they would break bread and have the Lord's Supper communion style at the end of their meal. They would have a family fellowship style meal and then end with communion. So this can be both. It can function in both ways. So you know what we're doing over there? We're breaking bread. You know what we're going to do on Christmas Eve? We're going to get together at 5 p.m. We're going to go over the Christmas story and we're going to end that service with Silent Night by Candlelight. But mixed in there, we're going to break bread. We're going to have communion. Are we devoted to having communion? Are we devoted to breaking bread together? Lastly, the prayers. Is prayer your last resort? Is prayer just your wish list? Or is prayer something we're devoted to? Do we go to God regularly to pray, to give thanks, you know, when we pray and we ask God, hey, Lord, please keep, keep our kids injury-free during this ball game. When the ball game's over, how many times do we remember to just go back and say, hey, Lord, my kid didn't break their leg this, this morning during this game. Thank you. Hey, Lord, I prayed that I'd get to work safe, and here I am safe. No, if you're like me, you get to work, you walk on into the office, and you forget that prayer that you prayed before you left almost immediately. Are we devoted to prayer or is it just something casual that's added as an afterthought to our lives, to our rhythm of life? Do we set aside and dedicate time to pray? Do we get up earlier or do we stay up a little later? Do we find time throughout the day to steal away and pray? We find time to steal away and call our friends and call our coworkers and call our spouses. We find time to text. Man, my favorite pastime in the world these days is when somebody sends me a text and says, Hey, Pastor, will you pray about such and such? And I can text and pray simultaneously. It's the only thing I'm good at in life, all right? There's not a lot that I can say, Hey, I've gotten pretty good at this. I've gotten pretty good at saying, Hey, man, I'm praying for you right now. I am praying. We're going to pray that surgery goes well. Lord, as I'm typing this up, I want you to do something in that room. Help the doctors. Help the nurses. Help the surgeons. Be with them, Lord. Lord, I'm praying over this person who's going. I'm praying over whatever the situation is. As you're typing out to them, you just say a little prayer in your head, in your heart, and then Scroll back through your text every so often and you'll be reminded of all the stuff that you were supposed to be praying about so you pray about it again. And then, when you're praying about it again, you could shoot them a follow-up text message. It takes like, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds. Hey, you know that thing we're praying about? How's it going? Question mark. If you want to be really nice, you can be like, smiley face. I'm happy. Hope it's going good. Praying for you. You know the emoji for the praying? That's actually a high five. But the Christian people, we hijacked the high-five emoji and we turned it into a prayer emoji. That's what I'm talking about, right? You see the two hands, you don't think high-five, you think praying. Except now, you're always going to think, oh, that's really a high-five. But it's a prayer, okay? We, we took that one. That's ours. You shoot, them, shoot them the little hands emoji. It's there in your phone. I know every one of y'all got a smartphone except Billy Barnes. If you don't get emojis from Billy Barnes, don't worry, because he's not texting you anyway. I love my brother. It's all right. You don't ever have to text, man. Keep that flip phone. You rock it out, brother. It's, it's just that easy. Make a phone call. Send a text message. Pray while you do it. 
Is prayer an integral part of your life that we together as a church are devoted to? Sometimes I think what we're really devoted to at church is having a bunch of events. Sometimes I think we think the church is healthy when we're doing a lot of events. If we do a lot of stuff, the church must be healthy. But you know how you determine whether the church is healthy or not? Is the church devoted to the apostles' teaching? Is the church devoted to fellowship? Is the church devoted to the breaking of bread? Is the church devoted to the prayers? Those four things. Acts 2.42. That's how you determine the health of a church. 